the service. We're working our way through these 12 principles of unity in Romans 14, first part of chapter 15. We're down to number eight. We are to number eight, principle number eight today. I'm not sure if we're going to make it completely through our explanation and our discussion of this. But it is a principle where I think we ought to park a while and make sure that we have clear understanding, not that all of these aren't important, but this one may be, if, if I were to say, if there were one or two of these principles that, that I would like for you to remember, if you can't remember the rest of them, this is certainly one of those that I would say, all right, I want you to get this one. I want you to remember this. I, I, I want you to take this with you and through your days, in your relationships, in your church fellowship, or inside the church, and I, I want you to I want you to get number eight. All right. To help us do that, let's look at chapter fourteen, starting at verse number sixteen. Just to remind you again, this last section of chapter fourteen. Paul is speaking mainly to those who have stronger consciences. And he's reminding those with stronger consciences of their responsibility to show love to those who have more sensitive consciences. All right. Verse number 16. Let not then your good be evil spoken of. For the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and joy in the Holy Spirit. For he that in these things serveth Christ is acceptable to God and approved of men. Let us therefore follow after the things which make for peace and the things wherewith one may edify another. For meat, or the right to eat meat, destroy not the work of God. All things indeed are pure, but it is evil for that man who eateth with offense. It is good neither to eat flesh or meat, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Let's, let's have a word of prayer. Now, Father, we want to teach and preach with accuracy, with grace, with humility. We want to focus on Christ. We want to give hope and help. And I thank you that I don't have to try to do all of that by myself. And I can't. And so I thank you that the scriptures we're teaching and preaching today have a power of their own. 
And the author of the scriptures today will, will use his words to teach us what we need. So again, open our hearts, our minds, our eyes, and our ears to what the scripture says today. And I ask in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to start out our discussion of principle number eight in a little bit of a kind of a different way. I'm actually going to talk about some ways that a couple of texts or a couple of passages in this chapter have often been misinterpreted and misapplied. Now, I want you to understand something. I am not standing before you saying I am the judge of all other preachers or that I have more knowledge than other preachers or that I'm trying to correct any anyone you've ever heard say the opposite of what I'm about to say. But I do feel like I have a responsibility as a shepherd, as a pastor, when I know things that are taught incorrectly, I have a responsibility to correct those things. For instance, let me do that with some things I've said. Okay? I don't always get it right. I very frequently get it wrong. It was pointed out to me that in our discussion of conscience issues, I, I have a couple of times said something along the lines of church attendance being a conscience issue. No, <laughs> no, I'm wrong. Church attendance is a command of God issue. We are not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And so I, I, want you, I want you to understand I was wrong if I gave you the impression that you could, could come and go from church as you please based on your, no. If God says it's right, if God says it's wrong, it's not an issue of conscience anymore, it's an issue of obedience. One of my more infamous examples did not happen here, thank goodness. It happened when we were in evangelism, and I, I, I thought it was an excellent message. I, you know, sometimes as a preacher, and some of the preachers in the room will know this, you, you, you finish preaching and you, you, just, you just feel like God used you and, and God worked, and the pastor of the church came to me and said, you know, I, I learned something today. I never knew that Jesus was born on Easter. And the whole sermon I had taught about Jesus' birth at Easter. That's heresy. Okay, so, so I, we, get it, we, we don't always get it right. When it comes to the Bible, though, we need to be careful. We want to be careful. We want to be correct. And so I want to point out a couple of texts in this scripture that I've taught wrong myself. I, I have not preached these correctly at times. And so I want to talk to you because it has bearing on what we're talking about today. I want to first talk to you about verse number 21. Go down to verse number 21. It was in our reading. It is good neither to eat flesh, that's meat, which is part of the discussion here, 
or to drink wine, this is the first time this is brought into the discussion, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth or is offended or is made weak. Now I bring this particular text up because we often take this text and say something like this. Drinking is sin because it might encourage someone else to do it. Now I know I may be technical or may sound technical here. When we say that this verse is teaching that if we don't have a conscience against drinking and we partake, we might affect someone else who is easily tempted in that area. Now, I will say this. The principle of showing deference to those who struggle with temptation is certainly taught in Scripture. Romans chapter 12, if you want to flip back there and look at verse number 10, Romans 12, be kindly affectioned one toward another with brotherly love in, in, in honor preferring one another. This, the idea here is, again, in, for the sake of unity, you come, you come second. Uh, well, actually, you come third. It's God, it's others, then it's us. It's, we, we are to show preference and honor to others' wishes, <coughs> deference to others. Uh, the same is found in Ephesians 5.21, submitting yourselves one to another. Ephesians, Philippians 2 and verse number 3, let nothing be done through strife or vain glory, but in lowliness of mind, let each, each esteem other better than themselves. So the, the principle of helping other people avoid temptation and living a life that helps others avoid temptation is, is taught in Scripture but technically, that's not what's taught in chapter 14, verse 21. Again, in chapter 14, we're not talking about temptation. We're talking about conscience issues. Now, if I know someone who has a more sensitive conscience in a certain area, I am not to partake or I am not to do around or with those who have more sensitive consciences, what I know that they cannot do. But technically speaking, chapter 14 and verse 21 is not dealing with the temptation to eat meat or drink wine or whatever. It's talking about conscience issues. There are plenty of other texts of Scripture that encourage us to help others who have temptation issues. All right? Now, I know that may seem a little technical to you, but again, we want to be accurate with the Scripture as far as context and what a particular text is teaching. Now, I want to look back up at verse 16 because this is going to, or actually both these texts, but beginning our text at verse 16 leads us into our discussion of principle number 8. Verse 16 says, Let not then your good be evil spoken of. And here again, this is one of those texts of Scripture that sometimes we, we rest out of the context 
and we take it and we apply it just kind of willy-nilly and just kind of in general, and there are actually times that people use this verse to bind other people's consciences. There are times that people will say, well, what you're doing is going to hurt your testimony, your good is going to be evil spoken of, so don't do fill in the blank. But we have to define what the good is in verse 16. Let not your good be evil spoken of. What is the good? The good is what your conscience allows you to do. And the evil that's spoken of in verse 16 is actually how it affects those with sensitive consciences. Technically speaking, again, verse 16 is not a verse about protecting your testimony. Although there are plenty of other texts that encourages us to do that. And by the way, keep in mind, protecting your testimony has more to do with what your testimony says about God than about you. So it's really his testimony we're protecting. But verse 16 isn't saying, you shouldn't do that because it's going to hurt your testimony. No, verse 16 is saying, you know what? If your conscience allows you to do certain things, be sure that those whose consciences are more sensitive don't end up living in sin because of you. Now, how does that go? How does that affect what we're talking about today? Here is principle number eight. Disagreements about eating and drinking are not important in the kingdom of God. Building each other up in righteousness, peace, and joy is the important thing. Disagreements about eating and drinking are not important in the kingdom of God. Building each other up in righteousness, peace, and joy is the important thing. Now, verse 16 and verse 21 are often used as weapons that create turmoil. Especially verse 16. These are verses that sometimes people use to bind consciences and promote as doctrine an individual's opinions. But when it comes to priorities, when it comes to conscience issues, there is something bigger at stake. There is something more important than our opinions, our conscience or on, on our opinions on conscience issues. And the, the main thing needs to be the main thing. Now notice 
how I worded that on the slide. Keep the main thing. The main thing. So according to principle number eight and the passage, the text that we see, verse number 17, for the kingdom of God is not conscience issues, meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. So, According to verse 17, the main thing is the kingdom of God. And God is building his kingdom. Now he's been he he's he's been doing that since before creation. He's been planning that and doing that since before creation, and he will do that continually throughout eternity. He's he's maintaining, he's building. His ruling his kingdom. He's been doing that in different ways, using different people down through the centuries. Right now, the way that God is building his kingdom in the world is through the church. We're kingdom citizens, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. We're citizens of a heavenly kingdom. A kingdom ruled over by Jesus Christ. One day that kingdom's going to come and the king is going to rule on earth. But the main thing that you and I need to keep, the main thing is God's kingdom. Our conscience issues opinions or opinions on conscience issues is not as important as the kingdom of God. But don't we treat them like they are? Why? Well, because we'll separate from people over our conscience opinion, the opinions on conscience issues. We will, won't we? Individuals separate from other individuals. We'll judge each other based on our opinions and on conscience issues. We'll condemn, we'll show contempt toward other people because of our opinions on conscience issues. And I think, I think the way the principle in verse number 17 is worded for us, or the text in verse 17, we can, we can take from that text this application. That if we are not helping build the kingdom of God, then our our Opinions on things may be doing damage to the testimony of the king. So the main thing is the kingdom of God. The main thing does not equal my rules and freedoms. Since food or drink do not commend us to God, And since the kingdom of God is not about what we eat or what we drink, and since food and drink are not matters that are as important as the kingdom of God, then we ought to be willing, first of all, to voluntarily submit our freedoms for the good of others. 
We don't want to harm the faith of those with more sensitive consciences. And this principle doesn't just involve eating and drinking. Obviously, it involves all kinds of other issues. Let me, let me give you a couple of quotes here. The kingdom of God is not a matter of schooling choices. And what we mean by that? Well, public school, homeschool, Christian school, public Christian school, Christian college, public. Can you see? Okay, that, you get the idea. The kingdom of God is not a matter of schooling choices, political parties, musical styles, and so on. Now, we ought to have opinions about those things, and we can have opinions based on Bible principles for how we educate our children or or what political party we will or will not support, or what kinds or styles of music we have personally or even in our church. But they are conscience issues. And when we treat them as more than that, We're actually doing more to build our own kingdom than the kingdom of God. Again, please understand, I'm not suggesting that conscience issues are not important and that we shouldn't have strong opinions. But our opinions are not what the kingdom of God is about. Someone else has said, for the Apostle Paul... Whether people ate particular foods or abstained from eating them is a matter of indifference and is ultimately in, irrelevant in terms of God's kingdom. <coughs> what you, in your conscience, allow is, is not as important as the kingdom of God and we shouldn't treat it as 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 important as the kingdom of God. Because when we do, we may be doing damage to the testimony again of the king. When we, when we cause or allow our opinions over conscience issues, to divide us, to cause schisms. We are certainly not doing what verse 19 says. We are not making for peace and we are not edifying one another. Dividing over conscience opinions is not building the kingdom of God. I know I've said it repeatedly and I'm trying to say it more than just the same way, but I want you to walk away understanding the kingdom of God is more important than our opinions. Please don't accuse me, though, of generalizing and saying, well, that means people can just say, well, if I don't feel bad about it in my conscience, then, then I can do. No, I'm not saying that. When God has clear rules, we obey God's clear rules. 
But when there are areas where there can be legitimate disagreement, then our consciences, again, uh, guided by the Scriptures and, and shaped and molded by the Holy Spirit of God, will be our, our help in determining what we will or will not do. Let's be a little more specific when we're talking about the main thing. Verse 17. Again, the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. How are these different terms Keys, or what do these different terms do to help us to understand more fully the kingdom of God? Well, let's look at the term righteous or righteousness. This is actually the theme of the book of Romans. The theme of the book of Romans is justification by faith in Christ. And the word righteous is interchangeable with the word just. Righteousness is interchangeable with the word justification. So when we're talking about the main thing, we're obviously dealing with the gospel. The gospel. Because as in chapter 1, verse 16, we find out is the gospel that is the power of God unto salvation. But we also find out in verse 15, leading into verse 16, that the gospel needs to be preached to believers as well as to unbelievers. And so we as believers need to live out our justification. Those who are unbelievers need to be made righteous in Christ. So the main thing involves the gospel. And our opinions about conscience issues does affect our effectiveness in sharing the gospel. Now we know from other texts of scripture that the gospel is an offense. It's a stumbling block. In other words, the gospel itself is hard to get over for some believers to come to Christ. The fact that they're sinners, the fact that someone would sacrifice themselves for them as a sinner, the, the, the extent to which Jesus would go, and, and, and the fact that they can't work their way into heaven or establish their own righteousness or come up with some other kind of religion or way to God. There are many aspects about the gospel itself that are offensive to some and a stumbling block to some, as Scripture says. But you and I better never ever be guilty of allowing our, our opinions on conscience issues keeping someone from the gospel. The main thing, righteousness, justification, then peace. 
peace. What are we talking about here? Well, we're mainly here talking about the idea of having a quiet soul. Have you ever met someone? Have you ever met someone that was so opinionated about everything, even things they didn't know much about, but they were so opinionated about everything that you just really didn't want to be around? You ever met anybody like that? Probably nobody in here, I understand. Well, we all know somebody, maybe somewhere else like that. You know, that person just seems to carry around with them this air of upheaval. They seem to bring contention with them wherever they go. You know what? That person is probably not a person who is at peace in their soul. When our duty, at least as we see it, or our purpose in life is to get everybody else to think like us, you know what? You're never going to have peace. Ever. And this kind of thing shows up in relationships, shows up in marriages. It shows up in parent-child relationship. It shows up in church business meetings. It, it, it shows up in how church members treat each other before and after services and outside of services. Paul says that the kingdom of God is a quiet soul. In other places, he has told us that the peace of God should rule in our hearts. You know, the word rule there means umpire. You know what an umpire does? An umpire tells you if you're out of bounds. An umpire tells you if, you've, if, you're, if you're out or you're safe. An umpire tells you whether or not you're in line with what's expected. It may be that you're here this morning and your soul is in turmoil. It's because God is trying to say to you, you're out of line, you're out of bounds. Come back where it's safe. Then there's joy. I like to define, or I like this definition of joy, and I've never found one that I, more helpful, I think. An uninhibited delight in God. An uninhibited delight in God. Now, I'm just going to start this and we'll finish this. We'll come back to this next week. But let me, let me talk to you about what you think about God. A.W. Tozier, theologian of days gone by, said 
that the most important thing about any of us, and I'm paraphrasing, but this, the most important thing about any of us is what we think about God. Now, he was contemporaries with another theologian named C.S. Lewis. Tozer was in this country. Lewis was in Great Britain. Tozer's quote was actually a part of a larger article that was printed in a, in a magazine. C.S. Lewis read that and wrote a, a counter-article. C.S. Lewis said that the most important thing about any of us is what God thinks about us. Now, who's right? And me, the intellectual peon, is going to say, both of them. What do you think about God? And let me say this. What you think about God will change forever when we understand what he thinks about us. When we understand our standing with God, it changes everything. Because we stop seeing God as a tyrant. And we stop seeing God as uninvolved. And we stop seeing God as angry. And we stop seeing God as someone who can't wait till we step out of line so he can zap us. When we understand what God thinks about us, it will forever change what we think about him. And then we might begin to understand uninhibited delight in God. Let's bow for prayer, please. Are we guilty? Are we guilty of pride?